Welcome to The Conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and your patients. In this episode of The Conversation, Quality Improvement Specialist Kathy Ray continues her conversation with Joe Henry and Angela McAllister from Groups, a recovery service mental health provider that is serving Indiana communities. This time, they discuss how remote access and secondary support to behavioral health services are beneficial to coping. Now, let's get this conversation started. We want to thank everybody for joining us today. This is our second podcast session with groups. We want to welcome back Joe Henry and Angela McAllister. So thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us, Kathy. Absolutely. Um, Groups, just as a reminder for those that didn't join us last time, Groups is an outpatient opioid use disorder treatment provider. So we welcome them back to the table. We want to find out a little bit more about Groups and their involvement with their communities. They are attending uh, our community coalitions with QSource across the state. So we welcome them and appreciate them being at the table. As we continue our conversation, I guess I would like to start with Angela, if that's all right. How do you specifically provide services to those in the community that are suffering, maybe both in the public sector and and the long-term care community? We provide um, weekly group therapy. And so what that means is that they, right now we're in the virtual model, so they can log in and join our groups for one hour. Um, What our groups consist of is evidence-based curriculum. We have five curriculums that we choose from that really zero in on coping strategies, um, emotional regulation. As we know right now, we've been forced into isolation with COVID. Mm -hmm. This is a very tough time for anyone. Add substance use disorder on top of it, it's very hard right now. We know this, um, we keep this at the forefront, just making sure that we're supporting everyone, acknowledging we have a lot of barriers um, that we have to help them with, way more than than even before. We understand the work challenges that's going on, the childcare challenges, being able to just access groups. So we uh, make sure that not only are we zeroing in on our coping strategies, we make sure that all around that they're taken care of and supported. Very good. Do you have any specific strategies or coping strategies that you would recommend during these times? A lot of people think it's about being strong. It's not. It's about being smart, just planning ahead. And that's really what they learn in group, cognitive behavioral therapy, thinking different, being smart about it and going in with plans and and, and the way we think about things. Just like in any non-intensive outpatient, we really want them to have outside support outside of us. One hour a week is just not enough sometimes. And Mm -hmm. um, also practicing that resiliency that we are not going to be in the picture for most people. They're on the, they want to taper eventually. Helping them develop who's that outside support. Is that going to be a peer recovery coach? Does that look like a spirituality component where you're reaching out from someone from church or um, whatever that looks like for you? Supporting them with helping them find that, or maybe they don't have that yet and we'll be able to provide that. The virtual model has been something that when COVID sprung on the world, right? We, you know, we didn't necessarily know what this was going to look like or, or how we were going to do this. And, you know, groups acted quickly. We, we stood up a completely virtual model within two weeks. 
naturally there were some hiccups along the way and some bugs. Um, but we, you know, we're, we're really proud of the fact that we were able to stand that up and continue to see our members virtually, whether that be through their smartphone, their laptop or tablet at home. We've had some members connect with a local library to find a private booth to be in group. We've done a lot, like, I, like Angie said, to break down barriers, to meet them where they're at. The one thing and, and that I think Angie was alluding to with the virtual model is if we've got a member in our Richmond office and they can't make their Thursday group and there's no group to make up on Friday, you know, there's nothing on the schedule for Richmond. There might be a group open in Terre Haute where there's some space that they could hop on virtually and they don't, you know, they don't miss a beat. And so that has been it's been a real boost for us to keep people engaged, to keep them in treatment, to keep them active and, and, and you know, just moving right along on the right path. While the virtual model in the beginning may have some things that we had to work through and some growing pains that we had to figure out, we've also found a lot of a lot of positives have come out of it as well. Yeah, that reminds me of the uh, the AA groups that they have and the virtual calls that they have that you can, if you can't get to your home group, you can absolutely hop on and join yep. a call. It may even be a worldwide call from people all over the world, but you can still get your access through this, those virtual options. That's great. That's absolutely wonderful. Have you had any best practice or evidence-based outcomes that you'd like to share? We've still seen during the, the virtual model since March, you know, we've still seen a six-month retention hover in the 65 to 70% range. We're still seeing members abstinent of opioids at about an 80 to 85% range. Those are things that we would have been proud of those numbers pre-virtual, right? But mm -hmm. after the virtual models come out and we're still seeing those types of results and outcomes for our members, that's what it's all about. That's why we're doing this to, to help people get their lives back and get into a routine and trust the, the medical providers and the treatment community again, because that's one of the things that, that comes up a lot is, you know, we're, we're building trust with these members again, trust in that the, the medical professionals are doing the right thing and taking care of them um, in a lot of cases. And I know Angie definitely has some input from the clinical side on the outcomes that, that she and her counselor teams are seeing. Definitely the six-month retention, we're holding um, industry standard. Definitely seeing really good results there. And I think that's really comes down to our model and in our mission to maintain a steady presence in the lives of our members while we're still maintaining our the fidelity of our model. The thing that Angie and her team do such a nice job of is they have, they don't have like a set curriculum that they follow week after week. They're using five different curriculums that they are basing their group sessions off of. And they give their, we are giving our counselors the autonomy to meet the needs of their members, meet them where they're at, talk to them and find group topics and, 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 and lessons that line up with what they're experiencing in the now. And I, and I think that that's something that, you know, we're really proud of that, that we are being so innovative and giving our counselors the autonomy to, to make that happen and to make sure that we're taking care of, of them and, and what they need now and not not just basing it on the next page in the book, right? Right. Do you have peer recovery coaches? We have a care navigation team that works remotely and serves in a similar capacity to a recovery coach. Not the same. Okay. But 
we're we're working with a couple of organizations right now. We're working through what it might look like to either contract with them or work with them to provide some peer recovery coaching in 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 a couple of specific markets in Indiana, so that we can pilot that and then bring that to scale once we get okay. get it where we want to. But that doesn't mean that we don't work with some peer recovery coaches and some of the organizations that are already providing that. One that comes to mind is CERT in Southeast Indiana and East Central Indiana. Um, and they do a great job and, and we love partnering with them for what they're able to help our members with. Our care navigation team, while they work remote, they make a big impact as well. You know, they're able to help some of our members that might be struggling with housing or maybe maybe a member is uh, you know, underemployed or not employed at all, and they want some help updating their resume and finding some open jobs that they should apply for, even navigating a DCS case to make sure that they are working and doing the right things to either reunite with their kids or make sure that their kids are doing well. There's a number of things that our care navigation team does. Even though they're remote, they do a great job of connecting with the members on phone, via text. And then oftentimes they are connecting our members with some of those peer recovery coach services as well. So when you mention those outside service providers, do you have individual partnerships with local clergy or you mentioned peer recovery options? And I know in our last session, I think there was a brief comment about partnerships. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I can speak specifically to Southeast Indiana. That's my region. And we partner with CERT and CERT has peer recovery coaches. They also can help with uh, financial struggles. So when they come in, we can do that referral. They'll sign a release where we can coordinate. They actually have an agreement with us. They will pay for so much for a period of time. They also have a lot of different access that we would never have access to. For example, they can go into jail and they can speak with the inmates and they can coordinate care so they can come right back with us where we would not have had that before. It's really been up to our patients, members, you know, our clientele to come out and figure that out on their own. Peering up with our outside stakeholders has been really valuable and CERT has definitely been that for us here in Southeast. Do you have some identified organizations for Central and Northern Indiana? in partnerships for the future? Not specifically at this time, but that's something that we're working through. We're actually engaging with the Indiana Recovery Network. Brandon George and his team yes. have been a huge help to us to start connecting with some of those organizations. And so right now we're trying to build those relationships and start to mimic what we've done in the Southeast and what Angie and her team have done to, to work with CERT is a great template for moving mm -hmm. forward. And we're just gonna use that to you know, bridge that gap in the other parts of the state. I know the community coalitions that we're a part of with QSource are a great, a great advantage to us in connecting with different parts of the community, which includes some of those folks from the recovery hubs and the peer recovery networks. Yeah, that is absolutely in the plans. It's in the inner works right now. So something that we look forward to um, accomplishing is, is solidifying those partnerships and starting to work together to better serve the needs of our members. We've mentioned the, the the care navigation team and how they do mm -hmm. such a great job supporting our members, um, uh, you know, in a, in a remote fashion, and they do a tremendous job, but there's only so much you can do in a remote fashion, right? And so having those connections with those peer recovery coaches just takes it one step beyond, and, and, and we know that that's a need of our members, so uh, mm -hmm. we're working really hard to, to make that a reality. It takes a village, doesn't it? Oh, you absolutely. can't just be in silos at this point, especially with... I mean, especially with COVID and 
you know, I go, go into these webinars like every day and just hear how mental health services is just going to be really tapped coming, you know, 2021 and to get the fact that you're growing and to get all of our resources pulled together is just crucial right now. Absolutely. For all of us. So this is wonderful information. Now I, I do realize that uh, groups just kind of published your white paper and you talked a little bit about your virtual treatment platforms and maybe even some hybrid treatment approaches for some, but could you share what that publication was about and what those outcomes looked like? We're documenting about 150,000 hours of care. So it's, okay. it is not, I, I will say that it is not all Indiana specific comes from the data that we've collected in the northeast part of the country where you know where we originally started takes into consideration some of the care we're delivering California and Kentucky and and other states but what we found by and large is that it that it has been a positive thing our retention rates at 6 months aren't quite what they were with face to face but they're you know we were hovering around 80 to 85% retention rates at 6 months prior to covid but we're still really proud of our retention rates at six months, which is, you know, which is kind of the barometer, right? When you when you talk about the the treatment industry, what are you doing at six months, and 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 how are you being able to engage and keep folks in treatment for that long? But we're still seeing a sixty-five to seventy percent retention rate. You know, as a result of of the information we gathered in the white paper, we're still seeing absten abstinence of opioids uh, in the eighty to ninety percent range. We feel really good, all things considered, even though there might have been a little dip about about what we've done and where we're at and um, the care that we're providing. We know that it's making an impact, even though we've had to switch to this virtual model. You know, I think we talked before about the advantages that that the virtual model has. I mean, obviously, there's some disadvantages to not being face to face, but the ability to move things around and make sure that transportation or job schedules aren't a barrier to treatment. We can schedule them in a group that maybe isn't. Uh, in their town, maybe it's to the other side of the state. You know, that's been a huge advantage there. And simply just picking up the phone, right? And doing, Absolutely. yeah, just doing those calls. Great. This is great information. Now, I understand you are expanding, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the regions that groups is in right now and how that looks like for 2021. We are spread out across the state. Groups, you know, started in Indiana and Southeast Indiana. Lawrenceburg, Indiana was our first office. Greensburg followed there shortly. New Albany, North Vernon, and Columbus are all offices that have been providing treatment for the better part of three years now. We then expanded into Southwest Indiana and, and East Central Indiana. In the Southwest region, we've got offices in Martinsville, Greencastle, Terre Haute, Vincennes, and Washington. And then in East Central Indiana, uh, we're located in Richmond, Connorsville, Newcastle, Greenfield, and Muncie. And in the northern part of the state is where we're really starting to see some of that expansion you're, you're referring to, Kathy. We've currently got offices in Marion and Kokomo and Warsaw, Indiana, but we're also looking in 2021 at uh, Wabash, Allen County, which is Fort Wayne, an office in Anderson, Indiana. Seymour will be opening um, shortly. Yes. I think Winchester is another. We're going to go into the Marion County market in somewhere in Indianapolis. I'm not exactly sure where that will be located yet. We're going to be entering the Evansville area as well. 
20, 24 current offices. I'm sure I didn't list them all off. I feel bad that I left somebody out, but uh, they're all doing great work. I know I didn't mention Salem, Indiana, which is an office that's mm-hmm. done such a great job for that community. 24 offices, and we'll look to be in around 35 by the end of 2021, and then some moving mm-hmm. forward in 2022. You know, we're trying to cover every corner of the state. We're trying to make sure that everyone has access to care. Virtual care has made that a reality, but we know that at some point we're going to get back in the offices and back to face-to-face care. Virtual is not going anywhere, but you mm-hmm. know, some people need that face-to-face interaction and, and need that in-office uh, treatment. We are doing our best to make sure that we're providing access to care regardless of where you're located in Indiana. It goes without saying that recovery is not one size fits all. There are so many different paths for people to achieve successful recovery. And for us to think that our model is the only model would be, Mm -hmm. you know, would be silly of us. You know, we encourage folks that uh, maybe not are as successful with us for whatever reason to to try other options. And we make those referrals out. Um, We encourage our current members to connect with the NA groups and the Mm faith-based groups. There are so many tools out there and it it is silly not to use everything at at our disposal and everything that can be a positive resource for our members. So yeah, anytime we get a chance to partner or connect, we, we want to do so. Joe and Angie, again, thank you for your conversation. I hope our listeners have found it informative and QSource encourages everyone to join the conversation. Until next time. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at qsource.org slash conversation podcast. The conversation was produced by QSource the Quality Innovation Network Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana, under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Content does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.